Alright, well it has been a phenomenal worship service together today. I am so encouraged. Not just because we have air conditioning, even though that was very encouraging to me. I think the last time I preached was when we had our, uh, our, our, our sweat box worship time together and everybody was dripping. Uh, so this is very encouraging, but it's just been, uh, I'm, so, I'm so just proud of the church that we belong to. And I hope you feel that uh, just in general, church. I mean, just, uh, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your story with everybody. That was, that was incredible. Um, you know, I'm really encouraged by this week in general. As, as I know, many people got to share. Uh, we had an incredible youth camp this last week. And, uh, and this is my fifth year directing the camp as a whole. This is my first time being out here in the desert, not being able to do it. Came up a different way up the mountain. That was, that kind of threw me off. But, uh, but it was just such an incredible time. If you've never served up at youth camp, I want to appeal to you. It will change your life. Uh, I, I share this with everybody that comes up there. God does things in a very special way. He microwaves prayers up at youth camp. Things get answered a little bit quicker out there. Um, but since then as well, I don't know if you've been following the news, but I got a text message on Wednesday morning saying, hey, bro, did you hear about the fires up in Idlewild? They had no idea. And then go to look online and sure enough, the fires that broke out three days after we left. Some guy was driving up 74, throwing road flares out his window, starting a forest fire. And camp was in threat. The place where our kids just was, was almost getting burned down. And I ended up texting the, uh, uh, we, you know, we started a prayer chain. We're throwing it out there on everybody online. Please be praying that God will protect the camp. And then I thought about our sister Thelma lives up in Anza. And she was not far away from all of it. But uh, we started praying and praying, and I was texting the guys that, uh, two of the guys that direct the camp up there, uh, John and Kevin, and they texted me. At its closest, the, the flames were three-quarters of a mile away from camp. So if you guys know anything about fires, the wind changes direction at all, and camp is gone. And, uh, but God totally protected the, the city of Idlewild, sent the fires in a different direction. Now, uh, I, I read a uh, a post this morning saying that, that sure enough, it looks like the, the fires are not going to go anywhere near camp at all. So it was totally just an answered prayer in that. Uh, again, it's a very special place, and I believe God is there. Um, and then as well, I know, uh, I know us and, and uh, da- uh, my wife and Danielle and Chloe got a chance to go out uh, to Phoenix yesterday for Gloria Baird's memorial. And that was just such an incredible incredible time. There's something special. There's a scripture in 1 Thessalonians that talks about when somebody, when somebody dies, it's faithful. We don't mourn like the world does. This isn't something to be sad about. We're sad that they're gone, but it's a time of rejoicing. And any of you that know Gloria, man, that, just everything about her life, what she stood for, what she represented, and what she, the legacy that she's going to leave behind, it's going to direct people to Jesus. And so I was just so grateful and proud to be able to be there with our brothers and sisters and celebrate that. Um, but yeah, but I want to get into our, our time here together today. Uh, you know, we've been doing our summer series on faith. I've been going through the heroes of Hebrews 11 and we're coming in for a landing. You know, I don't know if you realize we're kind of in the back nine of the summer right now. You know, everybody's finishing up. All the camps are done. Father, son camp is done. Youth camp's done. Teen camp's done. And now like people are kind of wrapping up the end of their vacations and starting to gear up for the school year a little bit, it seems. Even though out here in the desert, it starts so much later than everybody else. Um, but we're in an interesting part of the chapter. We've been going through Hebrews 11 and the different men and women of, of Hebrews 11. 
Uh, and, and there's a lot to be said about them in there. But we're at a, at a weird part. I'm going to read this here in Hebrews 11:32. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'm just going to read through it real quick. So it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There were people put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were stoned by the sword, or they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute and persecuted, mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so only together with us would they be made perfect. So, so you know, the writer transitions from going into these little excerpts talking about these amazing people and the things that they've done in faith. And then he says, now we're kind of in the, in the part that we don't even have time for. These are the men and women that we're getting into. The last little bit of our, of our series is going to be the men and women that were cut for time. Not because they were less significant. I don't know if you noticed King David was in there and he was a pretty important person in the Bible. But because the writer realized that if, that if I'm going to go into detail about all these people that were faithful, I'm going to write the longest chapter that the Bible has ever seen. And so today we're going to focus on a special guy in this group. We're going to focus on that guy. Gideon. Just name kind of thrown in there with a list of others. And not much is said about him. He's just kind of thrown in there with the name of others. I think in verse 34 that this could be in reference to Gideon. Possibly. We don't really know. Uh, And he's an interesting man of the Bible. You know, if Hebrews 11 didn't exist, like just just kind of put that in your mind for a second. If Hebrews 11 and all these men and women that that the Hebrew writer is trying to encourage us with of faith uh, wasn't in the Bible... And somebody said, okay, I want you to tell me some of the most faithful people in the Bible. People that stand out to you as men and women of faith. I don't know that Gideon would break my top ten. You know, he's not necessarily somebody that I would have chosen to say, man, this guy, he is an incredible man of faith. When I think of Gideon, I think of reluctance. You can save this picture and use it tomorrow morning when you wake up for work. But when I think of Gideon, this is kind of what I think of. I just kind of think of somebody that's just like, no, don't make me do it. I don't want to. God had big plans for him. He was going to use him at a very special time in Israel's history, but he wouldn't just do what God asked him to do. Along the entire route of his life, when he's mentioned in the Bible... He kind of fought what God wanted. And the truth is, this is kind of a familiar scenario for us. Part of why so many of these men and women that we've mentioned in Hebrews 11 are so inspiring is because they're not us in our natural state. You know what I mean? 
Like part of why we respect these heroes, like, like these, uh, uh, these great athletes and stuff, is because, you know, we as normal people couldn't do that. So we look at these men and women of Hebrews 11 and go, man, I could not even imagine having that kind of faith. And then enters Gideon. Because in our natural state, we tend to drag our feet. We tend to question God. We tend to look for loopholes, right? I'm not the only one there. You guys can nod your head. This is okay. This is okay. This is all of us in our human nature. We're not just like the Abrahams. are like, God's like, go. Okay, whatever you want us to do. That's not usually us. So Gideon is a very humanizing figure of faith to me. And what's also awesome about him is that God refers to him as a mighty warrior. Right? Pretty cool title. We'll get into that a little bit later. But we love warriors as people. Superheroes. MMA fighters. Football players. War movies. Whatever. We love warriors. And it's not just the men either. Chloe came over on Friday and was, uh, was hanging out with me and my wife. We were supposed to have a, a teen movie night, but she was the only teen that showed up. It's okay. Like, all the guys were gone at the father-son camp out and stuff. It was good. We ended up watching the Justice League. And, uh, and, and Kelsey and her were just talking about how much they loved Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman is, is pretty cool. She's pretty amazing, right? She's a warrior. Kelsey, a couple years back in the Rancho Church, she helped to lead a series, a midweek series they did for the women called Girls with Swords. It was awesome. Again, we all love warriors. But what makes this faithful warrior inspiring, like I said, is that it didn't come easy. And there's a truth of this that I want us to see, a connection I'm going to make in all this, that God wants to use us. Amen? He wants us to serve Him. He wants us to serve in His church. He wants to use our lives. And He's willing to fight for us to get there. That's the story of Gideon to me. The title of our sermon today is The Reluctant Warrior. Let's say a quick prayer and let's jump in. God, I just want to thank You so much for uh, the opportunity that we get right now just to be in Your Word together. I love these times with my family, with, uh, with our friends, God to be able to just, just listen to, to how much you believe in us, how much you love us, even through the lives and the stories of other people. I pray that you really lead this time, help our hearts, our minds, our ears to be open. Uh, please use me to preach your word powerfully. We love you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn over to Judges chapter 6. We're going we're gonna to read some excerpts from uh, Judges 6 and 7 here. And as we go through this story... I want you to take note of how Gideon struggles and battles to do what God wants him to do. All right? We're going to pick up in verse 1. The Bible reads, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the, the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. So they're in a tough spot. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It's impossible to count them on their camels. And they invaded the land to, the land to ravage it. Midian so, so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. 
When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and belong, that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. We'll stop there. Alright, so you can tell here, first of all, the Israelites are in bad shape. This is after the promised land with Joshua. They came and took in. Then they're unfaithful, and so God's letting them feel, letting them feel some of their choices. And they're in such a bad spot, they're basically just being bullied by the Midianites. They don't wipe them out. They just show up, take their stuff, kill their animals, leave, and then come back. So the Israelites are not in a good spot. And then we're introduced to our hero. The great hero Gideon. And in verse 3, it says that the angel shows up to talk to Gideon, and he's hiding in a wine press. Now, when you think of people that you would choose to be mighty warriors and to lead your army, you probably wouldn't think of a guy that's hiding in a corner somewhere. Right? Gideon's so afraid of the Midianites that it says that he's, he's threshing the wheat in a wine press. He's trying to hide it because he's afraid of what could happen. And the angel introduces himself. says he's sitting down. This is kind of a funny scene. It says the angel's sitting down in this, in, under this oak for a second. So you're kind of like looking at Gideon maybe from a distance. And then he walks up to him in his wine press. I don't even, I don't even totally know exactly what that might have looked like. But he looks down at him and then in verse 12... He says some powerful words. He says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Other translations say, Valiant warrior, mighty hero, mighty man of valor, courageous warrior. Right? All things that just kind of make you want to stick out your chest and look up in the upper distance. Like that's the first thing the angel says to this guy. But Gideon kind of looks around at his circumstances. Pardon me, my Lord. Do you see where I'm at? Do you see what's been going on? What are you talking about? And he goes on to basically say, look, if, if Almighty Warrior, if God is with us, then what in the world is going on here? Why are we just struggling and life is so hard? I don't see God in this. And then he says, no, 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 it's, it's cool. I'm with you, mighty warrior. And he was like, but, 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 but pardon me, Lord. Again, pardon me. I don't know if you know this, but my clan in Israel is, is not a great clan. We're kind of lame. 
And then me, I'm like the lamest of the lame. I'm not, I don't know what you're looking at, but I'm not your guy. That's basically what he's trying to communicate. That he was just looking at his circumstances and going, no, 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 this, this, no, you can't, this, this, I'm not for this. And he was looking at himself. Going, I don't know what you see, but I'm not a guy to do anything significant here. And what I love about this story is the contrast that we see in that. And the way that it starts off between what we tend to see as people versus what God tends to see. What Gideon saw was someone with not too much to offer. A weak man coming from a weak family couldn't see beyond the hardship that was in front of him and really just kind of trying to survive. That's where he's at in life. You ever feel like that? We're just kind of, I'm just, I'm just barely hanging on for dear life. That's where Gideon's at. And when God shows up on the scene, I love this. He says that he shows up, he looks through all the stuff on the surface all the things that Gideon saw in his reflection. And he sees what he made Gideon to be. And God wouldn't accept this insecurity. He wouldn't accept the faithlessness and he wouldn't accept the excuses. He saw a mighty warrior that was going to rescue his people. And the same is true of us before God. Most people I know do not live in a very self-assured state. Right? Yeah, those are the insecure people that are not responding here with this. I, I get it. I totally know where you're coming from. We don't tend to live in that place as people. We live in a state of insecurity and immeasurability. Right? I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Not tall enough. Not pretty enough. Not rich enough. Not smart enough. Not so, we're just not enough. And usually this is either because of the way that we were raised, because of what we see on TV or of, of social media, you know, the whole nature of social media, when we're constantly seeing all these great things that people do, it tends to make us not feel very good about ourselves. Or maybe what you've experienced in life in general. But this isn't how God made us. This is how we learn to be as people. If you ask my daughter, she's three years old, if you ask my daughter what she is, insecure is not it. Her thing right now, if you ask her what she is, she says, I am a princess of God. And so is my sister, and so is my mom. Like she's, She is very self-assured in who she is in God right now. What that communicates to me is that's not... We're not made to be insecure in our natural state. God made us to be confident, not just because, not in ourselves, but in who we are in His eyes. But we become, over time in life, we become expert in our flaws. And all the things that we are not. My nature is to constantly be in a place like, like Gideon, just, pardon me, Lord, I'm not a good enough husband. I'm a terrible Christian, terrible follower of Jesus. My parenting needs so much work. I'm a wannabe singer of karaoke at best. 
What makes you think that I can do anything for God? My wife challenges me on this a lot. Because it's really hard for me to see anything good in myself. Because of that, I'm terrible at taking compliments. Like, I like, I like avoid it. It makes me insecure. Like, something's wrong. You're lying to me. Because that's not really what you see. And I know this is where many of you are, too. And like Gideon, we tend to hide in our wine presses. Just hoping not to be seen and make it out alive. Right? Just, just trying to survive. But this isn't what God sees. And Aaron did a fantastic job last week. He killed it. But I love what he did in his sermon in particular where he showed us Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Like there was, I don't know if you were like me, but in my head I was like, okay, he's probably just going to say, and the rest of these. But he just kept going, reading Scripture after Scripture after Scripture of all the things that God sees in us. All the ways that God created us to be. And once I kind of got out of like what I would do if I was him, whatever, I was like, I need to hear this. I need to let the Bible communicate to me how God sees me. Because God infiltrates the wine presses of our hearts and says, I see something more in you. Not only do I see something more in you, I've created you for a purpose. I've created you to do something awesome. I've got work for you to do. You're not going to stay in here for very long. And the big picture of this, man, is that God created us when Jesus came to this earth and showed us how to be a follower of him, he created us to be world changers. That our role as disciples of Jesus, if we follow him, if we're making disciples, we change people's eternities. But I also think that like Gideon, inside of that, man, he's got roles for us to play. Maybe for some of you, maybe it's something bigger. Like maybe one day God has a dream for you to serve full time in his ministry. Maybe it's to be a family group leader. Maybe it's to be a worship leader. Maybe it's to go on a foreign mission field. But even if it's not necessarily some big or glorified role, God created you to serve and use your gifts. You are important to what God is doing right here. And He wants you to use your gifts and talents to lead people to Him. Real quick, in Galatians 5.13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge your flesh, rather to serve one another humbly in love. What Paul's trying to communicate here, he says, look, the whole, one of the big reasons why Jesus died is not for you to sit here and indulge yourself in the pews. It's not to sing a couple great songs, hear a good sermon, and go home. It's to serve. It's to give. It's to be a part of what God is trying to do in this church. But I thought of this, and I thought of reasons why we're reluctant. Because Gideon was. He was a man of reluctance. We tend to get reluctant to give and serve either because we're wrestling with our own insecurities and don't feel like we have much to offer. Because we're not paying attention, we're not listening to what God sees in us either from our own quiet times or just just how we live our lives in general. We can tend to point the finger at God, which Gideon did. He said, said, if God is really with us, then why is this happening? 
We can blame God. It's like, well, the last time that I tried to serve, it didn't go my way. The last time I shared my faith, somebody said no to me. The last time I studied the Bible with somebody, they walked away from Jesus. We can tell ourselves all these different things and say, no, 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 not again. Maybe because we don't want to commit to something. Or maybe just in general, if we're being honest with ourselves, we're just hoping that somebody else is going to step up and do it. I'm not going to do it. Let somebody else take care of it. And God is saying, no, I choose you, Pikachu. I have chosen you to serve in my church. I have chosen you to love the lost. I have chosen you to give to my people. But again, what I love about Gideon is that even after this, he doesn't just get on board. He struggles. We don't have time to read all of it. You need to study it for yourself. Uh, Judges 6, 7, 8, and 9, I believe. But... Um, but he goes to me and he says, okay, hey, if, if you're really with me, let me do this altar thing here. I'm going to make you a sacrifice. And God tells him, like, like, okay, lay it down. He touches it with a staff, burns it all up really miraculously. Then later on that night, God says, okay, okay. All right, Gideon, so you show, I got to show you a little bit of it, but I want you to go and do something else. Your dad has a bunch of, God, bunch of altars to false gods, and I want you to tear them down. You know, there's an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole. I want you to cut those down and use that wood to to build me a fire and an to, to build me a fire for a sacrifice, and I want you to build a real, a real altar to me in its place. So he goes, okay, I'll just do it at night. So he took some people and he did it at night so that nobody would see him. And then he continues on and he finally starts kind of getting it some more. God calls him to go to battle. He calls out. He calls for people to come and join him. He's got an army that's starting to join him, but he's still not there yet. And he goes, okay, God, if you're really if you're really going to do this for me, he has the whole story of laying the fleece out. He says, okay, if you're really with me, I'm going to put this fleece out on the ground, and when I wake up, I want you to make the fleece wet, but not the ground. And God does it, and he goes, oh, okay, 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 okay. If you're really with me, do, do it backwards. The ground will be wet, but the fleece is dry. And for those of us that kind of like, I know we kind of use the phrase sometimes, laying out a fleece before God, just so I say, it, it's not a faithful thing. Like, when, when Gideon laid out a fleece, it wasn't because he was really believing God. It was because he was faithless that he laid the fleece out before God. But what's amazing about this is God lets him do it. God let Gideon test him. God was so interested in helping Gideon get to a place of faith. Get to where he could be mentioned in Hebrews 11. He so wanted Gideon to trust him, he lets him question, test, and challenge him. Let that sink in for a moment. Like, God could have just said, dude, get over yourself. He could have given him a swift kick in the pants. He could have done so many things, but he was like, okay. All right, I'll do the whole fleece thing. Okay, I'll let you do the altar. See, look, look, watch what I can do. I'll touch it with a staff and it's gone. Like, he does that. He lets Gideon tell him, if you're really with me, why haven't you been here? All this 
Again, because God is trying to help Gideon to get to a place of faith. That he wasn't in, in his natural state. All of this leading up to this moment where Gideon is finally doing what God asked. He's finally there. He has all of the men that are ready for battle with him and then God throws him a huge curveball. Go to Judges 7. You with me? Verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. Imagine what would be coming through your mind at that point. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those, from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. We'll stop there. <laughs> I love how God does this, right? So God basically says, all right, cool. I'm glad everybody showed up. You know, you threw out the call there. Everybody responded. You got 32,000 men. This is great. But there's a problem. And the problem is, if you go to war, you're going to think that you won it. You're going to think that because you got all the people, you guys solved your problem here. So because of that, we, we got to fix this. Because I want everyone... In this situation, I want everybody to see me. Not how good of fighters Israel has. Not how many they've got to fight with. I want them to see me in all of this. So he thins the soldiers from 32,000 to 300. What would you be feeling if you were Gideon? Now imagine, to a different scenario here. Imagine you finally get your heart. Maybe you've not been serving for a while and stuff, and you get to your, your heart to a place, man, I'm going to serve in kids' kingdom. I'm going I'm to be a part of this. Scott got me inspired. I'm going out there. I'm going to love these kids. And on the first day, one of the coordinators goes, anyone who doesn't feel like serving can go home. And two-thirds of the group leave. And then to the remaining teachers, they say, all right, only those who are left-handed can stay. So it's you and maybe like two or three people say, you guys are the Kingdom Kids rotation for the rest of the year. Of course, that would never happen in our church, right? We got too many people that love God and love the Kingdom and want to serve the kids here. But that's kind of the equivalent. Like, how would you feel about being a servant at that stage of things? 
Would you be like fired up? Like, man, God is working. No, you'd probably be like, what in the heck is going on? And that's where Gideon was at. Again, there's something we've got to grasp in all this. No matter what happens, God is always concerned with making sure that we know that it's His power that's doing all the work. He wants people to say only God could do something like this. He's not concerned as much with the results or the length of time it takes. He's concerned with people seeing Him. And it can tend to go something like this in our lives. We got our plan and then we got God's plan. I tend to think, here's the problem. I'm going to go pray, because I know I should, right? God's got to be in the middle of it. I'll come up with a solution, or a goal in mind, and then here's the method of how we're going to carry it out. I'm going to take action, and then we'll look at the results and give the credit where the credit is due. God's plan, again, I'm not presuming to know what God's plan is, because we can't, but it can sometimes go a little something like this. Here's the problem. I want you to pray. Okay, here's a possible solution. Let's talk about how you're going to do it. Then we're going to change the method that you're going to do it. You're going to pray some more. Then I want you to trust me. You're going to take action. And then you're going to see me work. God's not super linear in how He wants to get things done. He wants to make sure that in the middle of everything... We always know where he is in the middle of it. What's awesome about this is God sees Gideon struggling, as we all would. If you just watched most of your army leave, you would be struggling to want to fight the battle. So he sends him some encouragement to fire him up. He said, look, if you're still feeling afraid, I want you to go sneak into the camp, hide out, and listen. And he overhears two soldiers talking. One guy had a bad dream. He said, man, this, I, I saw this crazy stuff happen. And the other guy goes, this can only be Gideon. He's going to come in and they're going to wipe us all out. So Gideon finally goes, I get it, God. I see what you're doing. And let's pick up in verse 15 here. We're going to start closing it out. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. You think he got it? He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets... Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. We'll stop there. Later on it says that God made them turn on each other. It's just madness. What I love about this is that once Gideon hears this dream, it finally clicks. This is about God and God's power, not about me. 
So he rallies the men. And he tells them the world's worst battle plan in history. There's not very many of us. So this is what I'm going to give you. A jar, a trumpet, and a torch. And what's cool about this is that battle plan didn't come directly from God. It wasn't something that God told him what to do. If you, if you see, it kind of matches in a similar way what happened with the Israelites at Jericho. Where they, God said, all right, I want you guys to march around and blow trumpets and the walls are going to fall down. It's kind of in a similar spirit, but God didn't tell them to do it. What's great about this is that this, this plan, this battle plan, came directly from Gideon's faith. Once he was all in that God was at work and that he was going to do what God wanted to do, I think what he was thinking was, what is the best way for these 300 men to see God's power at work? I know that God can do anything. So much so, we're going to go out and we're going to smash jars and blow trumpets and he's going to take care of it for us. But he didn't even get there right away. There's a truth of this that we've got to understand as, as followers of Jesus. When we decide to give ourselves to serving, sharing our faith, being used by God, whatever it may be, when we decide that we're in in God's plan, our faith, is, our faith can take us to places where we know anything is possible. Gideon's plan made sense because he knew what God could do. But it took him arguing, bellyaching, resisting, and fighting God the whole way to finally get there. And I've seen so many examples of this in my life. There's a brother that, that uh, I was roommates with years ago that used to fight me. He would not go on dates to save his life. If I, if I bribed him, he wouldn't go on a date. We would get in fights and argue about it. He's like, I don't get it, man. I've got, I've got no money. I, I, there's nobody that I really like here. And I was trying to give, it's not about you. It's not encouraging them. Like, stop being selfish. Like, we were getting those kinds of fights. And then all of a sudden, he started going on dates, and he just was like, it, the light bulb came on. And he started just killing it in dating sisters. He planned these super creative, cheap, fun dates. Every time somebody became a disciple, I was like, I want you to go on a date with him. Let him take you out and show you what dating is supposed to look like. But it wasn't until he decided to get on board that he saw why it was worth it. I had a roommate that I studied the Bible with years ago that, man, he would not, he, he just didn't quite get the idea of talking to people he didn't know and telling them about Jesus. Sharing your faith just didn't really make a whole lot of sense with people he didn't know. And then he started doing it. And along the way, man, he became one of the most evangelistic people I have ever met. He had like this tunnel vision for telling people about Jesus. That was crazy. We'd be in the middle of a discipling time. I'd be in the middle of a sentence and then realize I'm by myself because he's 50 feet behind me sitting on a bench with some guy trying to share his faith. He always had people to church because he realized this is why you do it. But you've got to be in on it. I'm proud of Cisco. You know, when, when, when we first got out here and stuff, I know Cisco was kind of trying to figure out where to serve in the church. And he said, you know, well, how, how, do I, how do I need to serve right now? And we got him to, to help out with the AV team. And he's been doing the audio here pretty much every Sunday for months. And he's amazing at it. 
Our worship has gotten so much better because of Cisco. And he's constantly telling me, like giving me ideas of things that we can try to do to make it sound better, to make the worship better. He caught the bug of serving and it's gotten so much better. I love hearing uh, the Delagarzas share that, man, once they got to camp and they realized what was there, that serving there mattered so much. Now they're like, man, we can't wait till next year. I can't wait for what we want to bring next year to camp. There's a truth of this that we've got to grasp. When we get on board with God, when we do what He's wanting us to do, when we stop fighting and just give a little bit of faith, God can do some incredible things. You know, a lot of you here, you're not seeing God work in your life right now. And you're struggling with your faith. But I would dare you to ask yourself, have you been serving? Have you been giving to what God is doing here? I keep saying in our church, but just in general, have you, been, have you had a desire to serve? I guarantee you, a lot of why you're not seeing God work is because you're not serving. You're not sharing your faith. You're not letting God use you. That's why you're not seeing God work in your life and in your heart. Because you're not on board. You can't have faith on the sidelines. You've got to be in the game. I love the story of Gideon. Again, not because he was this supernatural hero of faith, but because he was extremely flawed in his faith. He doubted, he questioned, he was insecure, he was people-pleasing, he was dismissive and fearful, but he got to faith eventually. And the other reason I love this story is because God is clearly the hero in all this. God fought for Gideon over and over and over again. Just like he's fighting for all of us. He was patient. He encouraged. And he was determined that Gideon and Israel would know that God was fighting for them. But I want us to ask ourselves some questions right now, church. When was the last time that you asked God to use you for something? When was the last time you just said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do? When was the last time you shared your faith or studied the Bible with someone? When was the last time that you served in one of our service ministries? Kingdom Kids, Worship Team, Ushers, the AV Team, anything like that. When was the last time that you served? Because God is calling out to you right now and He's saying the exact same words. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Hiding in your wine press, hoping that the, the speaker doesn't look at you. The Lord is even with you, mighty warrior. I want to build your faith. I want to use you for something outside of yourself. But it's time for you to step up and give. And if you don't know how to serve, if you don't know how you can serve, talk to your family group leader. Come up and ask the Sweeney's, ask us. Say, hey, what can I do to really give back to what God is doing here? Well, we got tons of work for you to do. There's plenty of things that God is doing here that you get to be a part of. But you got to step up and give to it. I love you guys. To God be the glory.